going into the school, I just felt alone. I felt like I didn't know anything. I was sitting at a table. I wasn't processing really what they were saying. Um, I was really worried for my son. That's Sarah Crowell Perez, a mother who struggled to get her school-aged son services for his mental health problems. Because many schools just aren't set up to address the mental health needs of their students, children like Sarah's son often have an academic experience that's very different from their peers. They get suspended and expelled more often and are more likely to get taken away from school by the police, starting a chain of negative events that can unfold in a kid's life for years, even into adulthood. This podcast, one of three on this topic, takes a look at the ways schools across the country have been working to improve student outcomes by addressing their behavioral health needs. These efforts are structured to reduce school exclusion for students who have mental and substance use disorder needs, stopping them before or along the path from suspension and expulsion to ultimate entry into the justice system. While they vary in approach, they all fall under the umbrella of the school responder model. I'm Jackie Green of Policy Research Associates, where we operate the National Center for Mental Health and Juvenile Justice, and I've been speaking with people on the ground implementing these efforts. They're learning that the supports of parents and caregivers like Sarah is key to student success. Gina Bracey, Director of School and Community Initiatives at the Child Health and Development Institute, is one of those people on the ground. Family engagement is a huge piece of the school-based diversion initiative, and I think in, in school justice partnership work more broadly, because we really take a school-family-community approach and recognize that without the family being part of the process and being full partners in the process, the students are not likely to see success in the initiative. Dr. Bracey has been supporting schools in implementing SBDI, Connecticut's version of school diversion for youth with behavioral health needs, since its inception. Primarily, the work that we do around the school justice partnerships really centers around our model for the School-Based Diversion Initiative, or SBDI. It's a model that we co-developed at the Child Health and Development Institute together with some of our state agency partners, and the goal is really keeping kids in school and out of court. And we do that primarily by helping schools be better prepared to understand behavioral health challenges and to link students who have unmet behavioral health needs to appropriate services and supports in the community. So I really think that there's two components to family engagement um, in relation to, to the school-based diversion initiative. And one is really sort of informing and engaging families in the process so they understand what, that the school is doing something different, that they're changing their practice around discipline, that they're really looking to engage families in services and to meet the needs that students are displaying, particularly those that are leading to some behavioral health challenges or behavior challenges and discipline problems in the school. So informing parents about those changes and making sure that they're part of that process is important. And secondly, parents can provide a lot of very supportive and, and um, unique examples for alternatives for discipline. Family members can often tell us, you know, here's the things that my child responds to. Here are things that will be helpful for them. Parent engagement is something that Sarah has lived firsthand as the parent of a young child with significant mental health needs. When her son's school first called on her in a time of crisis, she was not prepared for what followed. It's a cold feeling. I mean, you're alone. You know, um, it was a room full of 10 school employees and our mom. The professionals in that room were just the first in a long line of people to whom she had to explain her son over the years, 
as service providers came in and out of their lives. You have to keep telling your story. And it's always, so tell me what's been going on. And I'm like, why haven't you read the file? <laughs> you know? And then I think, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I want to start the conversation off with, so what's Miguel like to do in his spare time? Sarah also felt the pressure of reconciling two service systems for her eight-year-old son, the education system and the mental health system. All I was thinking about was how can I handle everything that's going on outside of the school, which doesn't necessarily support education, uh, like the intensive outpatient treatment programs and things. Um, they're therapeutic and behavioral based. And the school was so focused on education and not necessarily the mental health piece. I just couldn't balance the two. I was like, I need to bring these together. Uh, he leaves school early every day to go to these programs. And they're saying, hey, he's not doing this. And he's, you know, when he's in class, he's only doing half the work. And then he's leaving early and he's not doing homework. And I'm telling you, and you're like, well, we don't have enough time for him to do homework here either. It was hard for him to balance the two, too. It was just so overwhelming. It got to the point where he would not go. I couldn't get him to go. I couldn't get him to get dressed in the morning. I couldn't get him to get up. I can't imagine being in his shoes. As Dr. Bracey explains, many schools have found that effective work with students in the SBDI model is rooted in authentic engagement of their parents and caregivers. When we started this initiative back in 2008, um, I'll be honest, family engagement was not a huge component of the model. Um, we, we started with, okay, we have schools and we have behavioral health providers and we need to connect the two. And it became clear pretty quickly that there's another component that's very critical in making that connection work, and that's the family. Liz Phillips is a consultant working with SBDI schools and with families to increase family engagement. She also sees the value in engaging families in school diversion work and has identified some barriers, including the way families are often approached. I think that relationships need to be built before you even start to try to get things done. Because families walk in and they say, well, what can we do to help you? That's really random. It's like pulling things out of the air of, you know, I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. Let's talk a little while. Let's establish a relationship. And so we can start the conversation so then we can work together. SBDI decided to use Connecticut's statewide family advocacy organization called FAVOR to support more robust parent and caregiver engagement in the school diversion process. Denitra McBride is the Director of Family Engagement Programming at FAVOR, and she describes how a statewide family organization can support school diversion efforts. What's really unique about FAVOR is that we are a family-led organization. So most of our staff um, are parents of children with behavioral health and mental health needs. So we really have that lived experience that can help families navigate the system and help them to understand what's happening with their families. For me, family engagement is really having full employment in the process for families, having them being fully in, involved from the inception all the way into um, every step of the way of the engagement process. So 
what would that look like for families? Um, if there is an initiative being um, led or started, families would be a part of that process from the very beginning. Um, they would be helping to understand who should we reach out to, who should be a part of this process, what questions should be asked, also helping to um, guide the process as well, understanding the strengths of family members and utilizing those strengths. And I think ultimately what we want to see happen is family members leading every step of the family engagement process, not just being there to give feedback, but also leading the charge as well. This idea of empowering families so that they can take the lead made all the difference for Sarah's family. Her worker and her son's care coordination program suggested that she attend a local parent support group. At first, she was hesitant to engage. But once she connected with another parent in a similar situation, things began to change. Then I met a parent at a PTA meeting, and she had mentioned that she goes to it. And I said, okay, well, maybe I'll go. And so I went, and I said, oh, this is really nice. Uh, they had a couple different ones. They had one for autism, and um, they had one, a regular one. And I went to both of them. Uh, just to get a feel, and I said, oh, so who puts these together? And they said, the Community Collaborative. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, we're a bunch of service providers and parents and community members get together, and they discuss resources and funding and um, ideas, fundraisers, and things like that. And I sat at my collaborative, um, and that's where I met a family systems manager from Favor. She had felt alone and intimidated at meetings for her son. But once she linked to the parent support group, she did not feel alone anymore. And it opened doors for her to also connect with professionals working at the systems level in her community at their local interagency services team, or LIST. When I got to the parent support group, the relation was there. When I got to the community collaborative, uh, it was there. When I got to the list, that was all providers, very limited number of parents. And they all wanted a piece. They wanted to know, you know, what worked for you and what didn't work for you. And what do you think can help you? Programs like FAVOR often have peers who are trained to support other parents and caregivers, as Denitra describes. The PPT meetings she mentions are Connecticut's version of annual IEP meetings. Um, so they have children with emotional, behavioral, neurobiological, and or mental health challenges. Um, so they really understand what family members are going through because they have that lived experience as well. Um, our peer support specialists, they actually are um, focusing on education a lot. So they do go into the school system with families. They go to different meetings with them, such as PPT meetings, and really offer that support and that advocacy for family members. They also um, provide the direct support. So they are in the homes with family members, helping them to brainstorm and to see what is it that we can give, what resources, what support to really have the best outcomes for the family as a whole. This kind of support empowered Sarah, and she was ultimately able to significantly improve the circumstances for her son. She explains how that transformation happened. Going to these tables and these meetings uh, empowered me and educated me, made me more knowledgeable 
of how things work and forces them to take a step back as well, the school, and say, this parent, you know, kind of isn't going with the flow anymore. And um, it's going to get a little more challenging. Sarah's newfound empowerment helped her find a new placement for her son where he can thrive. I came to the table knowledgeable. I said, you never offered me inclusion and this, this, and that. Um, I found a school, a therapeutic school, that has only 24 children in it. They do a lot of life skills, which is good. Uh, he cooks every Friday breakfast, and he's 11, and he loves it, and he comes home and he wants to cook. Uh, he goes out into the community. They go to this the senior citizens' home, and they help people carry their groceries. Uh, they go out to the park, uh, and they incorporate education into that. He's smart, you know, and I don't want a limitation. I just want a different way. I want you to give him the different way of learning that he needs. He's doing great. We still have our struggles, but he's in a school that he loves. She also used her new connections with system leaders to spearhead support for siblings of students with behavioral health needs. She first realized that her daughter had significant needs navigating her world as a sibling of a child with behavioral health needs after an unexpected struggle for her daughter at school. The teacher said, can't you read a little bit louder? And she did. And she said, we still can't hear you. And she said, don't you have a brother or sister that you argue with? Can't you talk to that, you know, talk in the tone that you talk to them? And she started crying. And she went down to the office. And they called me in, and I was crushed. I neglected to see how all of this had been affecting my daughter. And the counselor said, she's not alone. And immediately I thought, oh my God, she's alone at home. I never thought or realized uh, how it affected her. And I asked, well, do you have something in school? You know, does she know that she's not alone? And I immediately thought, if she's not alone, I gotta find these other kids that understand. Sarah turned to her community collaborative and parent support group for ideas on how to organize and fund a sibling support group. And now her daughter and other kids like her have someplace to turn for the support they need, too. We meet twice a month. We eat together. We go places together. We play games together. We work through issues in our group together. Uh, and they love it. School diversion programs need both parents and caregivers like Sarah, who are engaged in planning for their child, and school staff who are willing and interested in this authentic form of family engagement. Organizations like FAVOR can play an important role in developing that interest. Denitra explains how FAVOR has worked with school staff in the SBDI initiative. We worked with um, doing presentations for school staff and also um, trying to do conversations with families, um, the parents of the students at the schools to see what are some things that they were dealing with. Um, so I think for us, the full engagement of family members was not just doing the process alone, but also having the family member with us. Um, we did have a family member who is a what we call parent champion. 
um, she was with us at these presentations. So these schools not only saw the family organization be there to teach them about family engagement, but there was a family member there who had children, who was attending schools, and she was able to offer her insights as well. So the full partnership was having her with us, not only um, to give feedback or just to have a portion of the presentation, but being there to really offer her story that that can help the schools as well. Ms. Phillips found that sharing personal stories during these presentations sometimes had a powerful impact. We had um, school counselors that had gotten together in one of the cities in Connecticut for our presentation. And we do a this picture, and it's a very dis disheveled looking house with the mother and the, fa the father, and it's just, it's, it's really quite a mess, the picture is. But what we were trying to do was find out from the, the um, school staff audience, what are the strengths that you see in this picture as well? One of those counselors, those school counselors, had spoken up during the, the uh, presentation, during that picture in particular, and she had said that, I've lived this experience. This is why I became a school counselor. This is why I want to help others, because my daughter went through the same kinds of things, and our family went through the same kinds of things. As Dr. Bracey describes, family engagement efforts can be challenging, but they also go a long way to supporting student success. Part of what we do with FAVOR, that FAVOR helps provide to us through the School-Based Diversion Initiative is not only that individual family peer support, but also they're able to work with teachers, with staff to bring in that perspective into the school day and into sort of the curriculum and their professional development. So understanding that true family engagement doesn't mean just having more people come to family night or family orientation or to the open house. It's really about getting families involved in the decisions that are being made about their children and the decisions that are being made around policy, around practices that are impacting their students. And as Sarah can testify, an engaged parent who feels supported can make all the difference in the life of their child. According to Sarah, the most important thing you can do for family engagement is to provide parents and caregivers the support that they need. I think as a parent, I know it's hard, and if I had a piece of advice, it's a process. And you're not alone, and your children aren't alone. This podcast was made possible in collaboration with the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges and through the support of the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention's School Justice Partnership Program. I'd like to thank Sarah Crowell-Perez, Dr. Bracey, Liz Phillips, and Denitra McBride for sharing their time and perspectives. For more information on how youth and family engagement can support the work of school responder models, check out the other two podcasts in this series in which we hear more voices from the field, sharing professional and lived experiences with direct and authentic youth and family engagement.